We are thankful to be back together tonight uh, to worship once again and to study from God's Word. Uh, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 16. This was uh, a psalm that we reflected upon on our uh, time together at retreat. And as Alex said, we just had a very blessed weekend of just enjoying each other's company and enjoying fellowship uh, and fun, but also spending some time in worship. And um, if you were not able to go this year, we would love for you to join us again next year, even if it's, uh, you know, just for the day. You're not interested in sleeping on a twin mattress, uh, you know, in a bunkhouse. I get it. That's fine. But you can always come up for the day, and we'd love to have you. We had a great weekend. God is good. God is so good was our theme. Uh, but before we get into that, it really is good tonight to see Phyllis with us. And Phyllis has been out a good while with uh, surgery and cancer treatments. And in 10 days, she's got a very important scan. And we all need to be praying that that comes back clear so that she can continue to be with us and there will be no further treatments. But I know she's happy to be here. She's tired of being cooped up and we're thankful to have her back. And then uh, Nancy Teagarden is here. Nancy, you thought you'd get away without getting a shout out, but you were wrong. Uh, Nancy was baptized this past week, and we rejoice with her. We're so happy for her and glad she's present here with us tonight. And if you don't know Nancy, be sure to go up and introduce yourself. Tell her congratulations. Tell her you're glad that she's here. Psalm 16, I want you to look first with me in verse 2. When the psalmist, who is, uh, we are told is David, says here, observes, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. I have no good thing that hasn't come from your hand. And we should aim to get to a place in our faith where we can say that and mean that. Everything that is good that I enjoy in my life comes from God is a blessing from God, and therefore God deserves to be thanked for that good thing. The psalmist David says, there is nothing good that I experience in my life that didn't come from God. There are a couple of New Testament passages that I think about that are along these same lines. James chapter 1, verse 17. Keep your place in Psalm 16. If you, we're going to look in several places. If, if you want to turn there with me, that's fine. If not, I'll share these verses with you. But James, as you know, in chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Every good thing that is enjoyed, every good gift experienced comes from God. We have nothing good apart from Him. He is so good. And then I think about Paul's very simple question that he asks, and this is an easy passage to sort of gloss over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But Paul poses this question to the Corinthian brothers and sisters. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? In other words, what do you have that you didn't get from God? What blessing do you enjoy that didn't come from God? And the answer to that question is what? None. Nothing. There is nothing good that I have that didn't come from God. Everything that I have, have, that I have received is a gift from the Lord. The sermon tonight is quite simple. 
we are going to talk about why God is good and how we should be grateful for His goodness. This sermon is not going to be like an exotic dish with ingredients from all over the world that you have not yet tried. This is a meat and potatoes sermon. We're not going to cover any new ground. Uh, You're not going to hear anything you haven't heard before. This sermon tonight is just routine spiritual nourishment. And just like a meal, we need uh, to regularly dine on God's Word. We need regular spiritual nourishment. It's not like we go to the book once and we get what we need and we're good to go. No, we've got to keep coming back and back and back. Just like we have to continue eating meals every day to be physically nourished, we've got to continue going back to the Word in order to be spiritually nourished and reminding ourselves of the same fundamental profound truths over and over again. And that's what we're going to do tonight. I want us to talk about why God is good, and how we should be grateful. And, and this is an important lesson, even for a Sunday night crowd. Even for those who choose to come back after a long day and worship God again on a Sunday night. It's important for us to reflect on the goodness of God and why we should be grateful. Because an attitude of gratitude will guard us against sins like greed and envy and covetousness, and wanting that which does not belong to us, and developing an attitude that says the grass is greener over there, and I I want that, I don't have that, whatever that is. We want to guard against that. We want to cultivate contentment and satisfaction. We want to be grateful for what we have. And reflecting on the goodness of God and the gifts that He's poured out into our lives guards against that type of sinful attitude. So let's allow David tonight to tell us why God is so good. I've got five reasons for you that come straight out of Psalm 16. First of all, God is so good because he provides godly companions. He provides company that is worth keeping. Company that we should prefer. I'm talking about fellow Christians, fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter 16, verse 3, look at this. As for the saints in the land, those who have both been set apart, consecrated by God, and who are seeking to be holy, to live a holy life, the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Those are the people that I delight in. Those are the people I want to spend my time with. God is so good because He has provided us with godly companions. And this is the company that we should prefer to keep. I think about how Paul knew uh, in the New Testament that godly companions were a gift from God. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, as he is beginning his letter To these believers, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He's writing to this body of believers that had become very dear to him. And he says, every time I think about you, I thank my God. One of the most powerful sermons I ever heard was on this text. And the preacher began by 
reciting this text, and there was a little bit of introductory material, but then the remainder of the sermon was him speaking to his congregation. And he said, I thank my God upon remembrance of you. And then he would name someone from the congregation. And then he would talk about why he was thankful for that person and what a difference that person had made on his life and how that person had blessed him and how they were a blessing to the church and to God's kingdom. And if I wanted to do that, I could do that here. Because you have become very dear to me. And you are my family, my church family. My brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have blessed my life and the life of my family. As I look out at this crowd, I could look at each of you in the eyes, unless you're a visitor that I have not yet met. And I could tell you how you've blessed me over the past 12 years that I've been here when I think about you I thank my God for blessing my life with you I thank my God upon every remembrance of you God is so good he has provided us with godly companions with a church family with brothers and sisters in Christ David says the saints in the land those who Desire to do the will of God. They are the excellent ones. I delight in them. Let's delight in one another, in God's people. This is, as you look around, these people, this family, this is a sign of the goodness of God. He has given us godly companions. He is so good in that way. Number two, he is so good because he has provided a beautiful inheritance us. Look with me in uh, Psalm 16, verse 6, where David observes, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And for David, he is probably thinking primarily about the land that was promised his ancestors generations ago, over which he now rules as king. The people have come into the land and they have occupied it and he is ruling over it. And, you know, in our reading, we've been reading a lot about this land that had been anticipated for years and finally they have conquered the land. And now, as I'm thinking about where we are currently in our readings, they are occupying the land. This is several more generations down the line when this psalm is written by David. He is ruling over the land and he says, Lord, you have given me and my people a beautiful inheritance. But we know that when we think about our inheritance, we're not thinking about an earthly land. We're thinking about our eternal reward through Christ. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 1 Peter 1, 3-5. through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
We, as believers, have a beautiful inheritance out in front of us. One that we are waiting on. One that we can count on. And so we, with David, can observe that God is so good because He has given us a beautiful inheritance. But I think it's important to mention that even those in the Old Testament were looking ahead to an even greater, better land. Yes, there is a lot of emphasis in our readings thus far in the Old Testament on the promised land. And yes, that was a big part of the fulfillment of God's promise. But the New Testament sort of reappropriates those passages about the land. And the author of Hebrews specifically tells us that people like Abraham, who was the one to whom God first promised the gift of the promised land, people like Abraham, look with me in chapter 11 of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 16. Listen to what Scripture says here. But as it is, they desire a better country. He's talking about Abraham, and he's talking about Isaac and Jacob. And really, he's speaking about all those who make it into this chapter that we call the, you know, the hall of fame of faith. They weren't just looking forward to getting into the earthly land. The Hebrews writer says, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, go down Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. But I thought they made it into the land. Well, they did, but there was something better, something greater on the horizon that they were looking for. And the land was sort of the first stage in the fulfillment of God's promise, but they knew there was an even greater fulfillment, an even better, more beautiful inheritance awaiting them in eternity. They did not receive what was promised since God had provided something even better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And so we have an even more beautiful inheritance than the people who were just looking forward to getting into the promised land. And if you look back in verse 5, going back to Psalm 16, verse 6 talks about, I have a beautiful inheritance. But look at verse 5. Look at what David says here. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Sounds like David is saying here, you know what, Lord? You truly are my inheritance. Now, this could be a reference to the Levites here. And if you've been reading, you know, the Levites didn't get a portion of the promised land. The Lord was to be their portion. They were the tribe out of which came the priests. The Lord is their inheritance, their portion in the land. But David wasn't of the tribe of Levi, was he? He was of the tribe of Judah. And yet even he here is saying in this psalm, the Lord is my chosen portion, the Lord is my cup, the Lord holds my lot. The Lord, in a sense, is my greatest inheritance. And we can say the same. Because what's going to make heaven so great is that the Lord is going to be there. And we will be able to spend eternity in His presence. 
without the Lord, heaven isn't heaven. It's heaven because God is there. And so the beautiful inheritance for which we wait is in essence the Lord's presence. We have a beautiful inheritance. And God is so good for providing it. Number three, if we keep going, chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord provides counsel. He provides counsel. David says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. You know, asking for directions for many of us is a hard thing to do. We don't like to do it, especially for some of the men out there. We are very resistant to asking for directions. And in fact, I was thinking about this illustration is just about obsolete. Technology has just about made this illustration obsolete because none of us really need to ask for directions anymore. We just type in the address on our phone and that gets us exactly where we need to go. But back in the good old days, you know, when you'd get lost, you'd have to pull off on the side of the road and ask somebody how to get where you want to go. And a lot of people don't like to do that. But being a Christian means that you're willing to admit in the journey of life, I need directions. I cannot find my way through this life on my own. I need wisdom. I need counsel. I need guidance. And that is one thing that sets us apart from the world. We are willing to humble ourselves and say, I don't have the smarts. I don't have the intelligence. I don't have the strength to get where I need to go. I need someone, someone from up above to give me directions. And David says, the Lord gives me counsel. And that's yet another reason why he is so good. James in the New Testament says in chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. He dispenses it generously to all without reproach. It'll be given you. So if you don't have wisdom, and if you don't have direction in life, and you know, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, who's he talking to? He's talking to everybody. Because we all lack wisdom. We all have room to grow in this department. We all need more wisdom from God. And James says, ask for counsel, ask for wisdom, and ye shall receive. Ye shall receive primarily from God's word. This is the ultimate source for wisdom and guidance and direction in this life. But you will also find counsel from trusted advisors, from fellow faithful Christians who have committed their life to following this word. These are the people that we need to go to. Uh, the elders and, and, and the deacons and, and other people, faithful Christians, uh, when we face big decisions in our lives and ask them what it is they think that we ought to do, we can also, to a degree, and I want to be careful here, but we can rely in a limited way on our conscience. If our conscience has been shaped and molded by the Word of God and not, not distorted and seared, by influence from the world. In fact, I think the psalmist says this in verse 7. He's, right after he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Do you see that phrase? 
I don't think the psalmist is here talking, I don't think David is here talking about dreams, having dreams that, you know, and God is guiding him through these dreams. I think he's talking about being up at night and thinking through a problem or an issue and being instructed by his inner conscience that has been devoted to God and has been shaped by his word. Sometimes at night we find ourselves thinking through issues that we're dealing with. And David here says, my heart instructs me. And we, and, you know, we need to be careful about that. And, and I have warned about listening to what comes from within and listening to our heart. But God has given us our consciences. They are a gift from Him. And when they are shaped by His Word, they can be somewhat reliable. But that has to be partnered with speaking to trusted advisors in the faith. And most importantly, it must be partnered with a commitment to God's Word. God is so good in that He provides counsel to us through His Word. He gives us direction through life. He finds us wandering aimlessly through this life and He says, let me show you the path that you ought to take. Don't go this way. Go this way instead. Don't make that decision. Do this instead. This is the way that will bring about the most good for you and the most glory for me. So listen to my instructions. I will show you the way home. God is so good. He provides counsel for us. Number four, something else from Psalm 16. He provides His constant presence. Verse 8. David says, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You know, I'm struck that throughout the Bible, God's presence is lifted up as the answer to our problems. God's presence is the answer to our problems. How about an illustration from the book of Judges? You've been reading out of Judges. Let's go to chapter 6 briefly. The story of Gideon. You know, this morning I painted a pretty bleak picture of the book of Judges. And it is a bleak book. And it is a book in which Israel spirals downward in their rebellion. Uh, And even the judges who were lifted up become less and less righteous and virtuous as you go along. you got Jephthah who makes that terrible rash bow. And then, you know, you've got Samson who isn't exactly a bastion of virtue. Even the leaders uh, fade and and slide away uh, as we go throughout this book from God. But the story of Gideon is kind of a high mark in the book of Judges. And when God uh, calls Gideon to bring his people out from the hand of Midian, if you look in chapter 6 of Judges, verse 14, you read this. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. How many iterations of this story do we see throughout Scripture? God calls someone who is clearly not qualified by our standards and 
the way that they get the job done is not relying on their talents and their abilities, but on the presence and the power of God. You know, I can almost hear God saying after Gideon says, but my clan is the weakest in my tribe and I'm the least in my father's house. I can almost imagine God saying, then I found the right person for the job. You know, he chooses the lowly Gideon, just like he chooses the ineloquent Moses, just like he chooses the virgin, the young girl Mary, through whom to work his power and purposes throughout history. And here's Gideon, and Gideon's not going to get the job done by his own strength and by his own um, qualifications, but by the power of God. And that is proved as we read, you know, God in chapter 7 whittles his army down to just a few hundred men. Because it's not about the, the might of Israel, it's about the power of God. It is his presence that makes all the difference. And Jesus, before he left this earth, made us a very important promise. He said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us at our side as we walk through this life. And that brings me a lot of comfort. God is so good because He has provided His constant presence. And then, fifth and final reason why God is so good that we find in this psalm is He is so good because He provides fullness of joy. Psalm 16, verse 11. The second part there, we read, In your presence... There is fullness of joy. In the Lord, we experience not a temporary fleeting sense of happiness, but unspeakable, abiding joy. Now in contrast, we read earlier in the psalm in verse 4 that those who chase after other gods, though they may you know, on occasion, experience happiness and enjoy pleasure. But according to David in verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. In the long run, they will experience great sorrow for chasing after other gods instead of entrusting themselves to the one true and living God who is the only one who can provide for us Joy. Deep, abiding joy. David closes the psalm by saying, In, At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Delights, gifts, blessings in this life and throughout all eternity. So may you realize that you have no good thing apart from God. I hope that you will think about that this week. That everything that you enjoy comes from His hand. And may you, when you think about that, be grateful for all of His good gifts. The big ones, the big ones that we've talked about tonight, the church, godly companions, a beautiful inheritance of future uh, in God's presence, guidance throughout this life that is so needed by each of us, His constant presence by our side and lasting, abiding joy. Those are big gifts. 
But God also provides small gifts sprinkled throughout our days on this earth. May we be thankful for them as well. And may this attitude of gratitude cultivate contentment in your heart. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation to offer your life up to the Lord, to give your life over to Him, to have your sins washed away in the watery grave of baptism, you have an opportunity to do that. Or if you need prayers for any reason, if you need to rededicate yourself to the Lord and to His service, you have an opportunity to do that as well. Why don't you come with any spiritual need you may have as we stand and sing?